0: You think I'm stupid, Duke? Even if I gave you money, you'd still tell on Mother, and no one must know about her or what she's done!
1: You're, You're listening to, to the Skeleton
2: Skeleton Skeleton. radio ad is scary.
3: We have on the show with us a very smart gentleman named Rob G. He's the man behind The Psycho Legacy, which is a documentary of Psycho and its three sequels. And proof that he's smart is that he knew to leave The Psycho Remake out of this documentary. <laughs> Welcome, Rob. Oh, hi. Thanks Thanks for having me. We got The Psycho Remake, 1998, starring Vince Vaughn and Anne H Now... You see this movie was kind of pointless because it was it was just basically shot almost shot for shot and when you try to imitate something you're going to be directly compared to it. That's like one thing I ran into when I was expressing my dislike for the Halloween remake it's that people were like you have to separate it from the original, you know, in order to like it. And my answer to them was no, Rob Zombie had to separate it from the original and I would have liked it. Yeah. Rob Zombie fell short because He was in that whole tug-of-war battle with the Weinsteins, whether or not Halloween was going to be remade under his own vision, or paying homage to the original, and the movie never really went one way or the other, so for that reason it fell flat, and the Psycho remake fell flat because, the obvious reasons, it was just creating a poor imitation. I think the only way to successfully remake a movie is to create a new vision while lightly referencing the original source material. You know what I right. mean, and that's not even a guaranteed success. You know, you still have to be a good movie. Yeah. What What are your overall thoughts on this? First of all, Mr. G. Well,
2: you know, I mean, I watched it when it came out. I remember when I remember around '98 when it was getting ready to come out. I was really, you know, excited for it because there hadn't really been a psycho film in a long time, and Perkins was at that point long gone. And um, you know, I mean, I liked I like everything that Gus Van Sant had done up until then. Um, I thought Vince Vaughn was an interesting choice, but I didn't exactly see it. So I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. I, I understand the need to remake stuff, but it's it's you know it's kind of like the point you were you were trying to make with Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie, I think, works for the first half because it's completely his own thing. Right. I, I think where that one struggles is the second half because the second half tries to be the John Carpenter movie. And, you know, love it or hated it, at least Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, at least it's a Rob Zombie movie through and through and not trying to remake, you know, an element of one of the, you know, movies. The psycho, I mean, it's interesting in theory, I was excited about it at the time, and the theory completely failed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, I, you know, because it's like, all the stuff I heard leading up to the release was intriguing. I mean, one aspect was, um, I heard that it was going to be shot for shot. Then I heard a rumor that it was going to be shot for shot up until the shower scene, and then from the shower scene on, it was going to go in a radical new direction. Mm-hmm. And then I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, if they do that, that's kind of cool. Then you'll feel like you're watching the same movie, but then they'll go into new territory. But And then the other argument was, well, you know, you can people do plays all the time using the same scripts and new actors. So what's the difference between, you know, trying to put on a, a state show and remaking a movie like this? Like, can it be done? So it all sounded good on paper, but I think the biggest mistake was it's, you know, because it's, it's like they say it's shot for shot and they're sticking completely to the original, even to the point where if an actor did something uh, that didn't fit the timing of the original movie, uh, they'd reshoot it. Like, they had the DVD handy so that they could match the exact pacing and timing of the original, which to me seems kind of, like, preposterous. It's like, well, why don't you... That way, an actor is not concentrating on giving it a performance. They're trying to just be exactly the right timing of stuff, and it kind of distracts the actors. Yeah. So I don't understand why they went into this, like, meticulous detail to recreate everything, yet they made some of the craziest changes. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the new house, which I don't know why... like. It's like, hey, let's give him a new house that looks nothing like the original. Um, Norman Bates should, you know, masturbate before he kills people and see clips from Nine of Shales videos or something. I, I, none of that ever made any sense to me. Like, well, like, it's like if you're going to make a change, go with the full nine and explain it. And if you're going to stay to the original, then stay to the original and don't add these weird asinine things to it. Right. So it's just weird. I don't know exactly what they were trying to do with that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't work as a. And it just doesn't work. You know, it's like if they completely updated it and redid it, I'd be kind of okay with, like, all right, well, this is a different take. Right. But um, the other thing is, I mean, a script from 1960 doesn't play the same way in 1998. It's like some of that stuff is kind of corny now in retrospect.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, it's out of its time, but in 98,
3: it's a little corny. Exactly what you said. Why make certain changes if you're not going to even update the script to how people talk? For example, one scene I thought was really weird that they added in was Lila Loomis saying, let me go get my Walkman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why Why make a Walkman reference if the rest of the time they're going to say words that people haven't said in 40 years?
2: Yeah. <laughs> All the decisions they made on it just seem very odd. I don't get them.
3: They
4: made the oddest decisions. Like you said, man, you know they changed certain aspects of it. Like I noticed um, you know, the the way uh how much the car was and stuff like that and, and, and they kept a lot of the same but if they're trying to play it as, as ninety eight, which they do in the beginning, they say it's nineteen ninety eight and you're you're using the same dialogue, you know, that that they did back then. It just doesn't gel. It just doesn't go well.
3: I think the most successful remakes are the ones where Like I said, they touch lightly on the source material. For example, I know a lot of people hate this, and this is probably a bad example, but House of Wax, I really liked it, but that's just my personal opinion. But the thing that's even better about it is that they didn't just recreate the Vincent Price, which is also a remake. But it's cool that they just took something loose, House of Wax, okay, and that's it. That's what you got to do with stuff like this. You could have done so much with, with Norman Bates. Let's start off with the positives. Um... I do believe the camera was in focus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done. No. Now let's get to the bashing. No. <laughs> no. Okay, let's let's go with a couple positives. The one thing that they did a little bit better than the original was when Norman hit Sam in the face with a golf club. That was probably the only scene that was like, wow, that was pretty badass and
1: the sound effect was better.
3: Yeah, it was better and it was better <laughs> than that. Weird, it was better than that weird thing Norman hit, I forgot what he even hit him like a tin can or something I don't even know. <laughs> yeah I don't even know what he hit him with but Mike what, what is your what, what are your biggest problems with this movie why didn't this work besides what we already mentioned
1: I did not like the masturbation before he killed Marion Crane and I really didn't like and I, I talked to you about this you know earlier today Alex when I said before he goes down after he killed Marion to like clean it up and he he's walking out of the the house and he's like blood 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 like it's like a dance number or something and I just I don't get that I
2: hate that
4: yeah that really bugged me too Mike yeah that drove me crazy actually
3: the acting was terrible I felt like I was watching a bad school play of this movie the acting started off Rob what did you think of the act I know that you give a pass to uh William Macy, yeah Macy. Macy? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah,
2: I mean, well, he's the only actor that doesn't seem like he's distracted by the whole um, timing of like trying to get the timing right of how the original actors performed it. So I mean, you know, and he's just he's just a really good actor. You could give him something like, all right, I need you to you know execute these this paragraph of dialogue in in two minutes. That's it, and he's just type to pull it off. So he was really good. You know, but yeah, I mean, even Vince Vaughn, I would have been curious if he was able to kind of left his own devices to do his own version of Norman Bates. But it seems like they were all really you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of like put in a box to just copy exactly what it had done before. Right. You know, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm trying to think of positives. Mm-hmm. I guess getting, getting Danny Elfman to redo the score in 5.1. That was good. A positive. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. good. Is that, uh, I, I, when I went to see it in theaters, I was just so disappointed because, is. The thing is, when you watch the original movie, you you don't know the twist. You know, I mean, maybe now you're a little bit more sad. You've seen a lot of movies that have copied Psycho, and it'll seem strangely familiar when you're watching the original movie. But for the most part, when Norman comes out as Mother, you're like, whoa, that's insane. I had no idea. But I remember from the first moment that Vince Vaughn came on screen, everyone was kind of snickering at thing, and it was like, like, they knew, like, oh, this guy's obviously psycho. Like, he's insane. So this is obviously the person that's going to be the killer. And more importantly, the reveal in the original is, like, one of those great shocking moments with the score and everything, uh, the screeching violence. But then I remember in theaters, the second you saw Vince Vaughn with a blonde wig, yeah. which often didn't make sense, everyone started laughing. And I was just like, no, no, this is supposed to be the
3: scary Reveal right. <laughs> and everyone's laughing at Vince Vaughn in a blonde wig. It's, it's not right. It doesn't feel right. And, you know, I want to go back to Mike. Remember you talked about how you don't like that Norman was jerking off when uh, Marion was getting undressed? Right. I think the funny part about it, and I, I always catch on to this stuff because I'm a nut, I think it was right. funny that he, he went at it for about 15 seconds and he seemed to finish.
0: Oh, yeah, dropping fucking lows.
3: Now, that's a quick draw. Yeah, I don't. But I, I think he's he's competing with Judith Myers's boyfriend because at this point I don't know who lasted longer.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I wonder that myself actually. I doesn't adhere to the whole reason why Norman morphs over into his, the other personality is m- mother is just the mother personality of Norman Bates is extremely jealous. So the point is, as soon as he even remotely gets attracted to another woman, he he turns into mother. So he wouldn't even have a chance to masturbate. <laughs> that, you know, like, he, like in the original, he sees you kind of naked, and then he goes into the other room, and then he becomes mother because mother becomes insane and jealous of it. It's like he, he can't get sexually aroused and then become mother. It's like that's what causes him to become mother
1: right. is
2: um, his sexuality. When he, when he kind of gets into that mode and feels that, that aspect of himself, that's when he becomes mother. So yeah. it doesn't make any sense.
3: That's a very good point.
4: Well, and I think, too, with, with, with that whole thing, I, I think they were trying uh, to update it to, for, for shock value mainly, and that's the deal. Like, it's a hard question, too. But, Rob, what do you think? Do you think it's the times, too, that it, that it that didn't play as well as the original?
2: Again, I, you know, it's one of those movies that's just really difficult to figure out the decision-making process on it. Like, why would they do that? Everything else seems similar, but it's like, well, how can we shock people here? You know, masturbation is still pretty taboo in the '90s, so let's just show him doing that. I, I mean, I guess that's valid. I don't know why, as a mother or as uh, I don't know why any psychopath, quote unquote, would have visions of thunder and lightning and naked women from Nine Inch Nails videos and Rob Zombie. <laughs> and, you know, because it was a that like, really a threw me off. And I don't understand, like, what that even means, like, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the trailer hints at that, they're like, this is the mind of Martin Mitz. and I'm like, really? Because crazy people don't see that kind of shit when they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, there is one personality that completely believes what they're doing, or they're the other that also completely believes what they're doing, so.
3: Dan, what were you talking about? You said, when you said when Arbogast was killed.
4: That's exactly what I was talking about. It looked like a Nine Inch Nails video when he was falling down the stairs.
3: It it really
4: threw me off. There, there was a scene with a cow, and then, you know, it, it was just odd in many different levels to to the point where it took me out of the movie, and I was like, what the hell is going on with this?
3: I thought that was Arbogast having flashbacks of, like, his life. I, 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 then I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not really sure what to make of that.
4: See, that's what I mean. What What do you take from that? Right. Like, is it is it trying to say, you know, in your last moments, things flash before your eyes that don't make sense? I mean, I've heard of that happening with people where they just see weird imagery, but they don't explain it. It, it doesn't fit in with the story. It's just odd. I don't know. It see, just runs the wrong like, way.
2: That, that could be a valid theory that it's the character, yeah. but I mean, it happens during um, Marion Crane's death too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good point. So I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's you have to assume it's Norman's mind because, right. you know, I don't know. Why would Marion and, and you know, Arbogast see, you know, a cow and a naked woman? I, you know, I don't understand why yeah. that would. It doesn't make sense that that's their life flashing back. It looks more like crazy, you know, imagery that
3: they're trying to insinuate Norman sees. Right.
4: Um, no, you're, you're right. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I think they said, let's just put random shit here. Who cares? <laughs> Anybody have a cow? Anybody have a mailbox we could throw in here? (laughs) Bueller? Yeah, a garden hose. But uh, yeah, what I was saying before, I felt no impact during scenes that were really pivotal. Like, Mike, when Norman was delivering the classic lines like, um, it'll be cold and damp like a grave, you know, the light will go out. Fire
0: go out, be cold, damp, like a
3: grave. You know, we're all in our private traps. We, you know, claw only at the air, only at each other and of it, we never budge an inch. Tell me it, that.
1: It, it felt like he was reading it from a paper. It really did. It just, there was no emotion behind it. it...
0: You know what I think? I think we're all in our private traps. Clamped in them. And we can never get out. All we scratch and claw, but only at the air. Only at each other. And for all of it,
1: never budge an inch the only person that I felt exhibited any sort of emotion in the film was William H Macy other than that they were all just flat they didn't there there was nothing
5: wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace
0: you mean an institution a madhouse People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace.
5: I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to sound uncaring.
0: What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears and the cruel eyes studying you. My mother
3: there? When Anthony Perkins delivered that line, you knew that shit hit the fan just now in this conversation and you were like oh shit and and Mary and Crane knew it, we knew it and you could see it and you just hope that the next few words this guy says is gonna be, you know, he's gonna calm down and go back to normal. When Vince Vaughn said it.
0: Do you mean an institution? Madhouse. People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? put her in someplace. I'm. i'm sorry i didn't mean to sound uncaring what do you know about caring have you ever seen the inside of one of those places the laughing and the tears and the cool eyes studying you my mother in there
3: did you notice that he he couldn't even rely on his delivery to get that point across he had to make that weird face like he was mad he's like a madhouse what do you know about caring Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The cruel's eyes staring at you? Like, it was just... It was so bad, and he knew it that he had to start making faces to show us he's mad. Or or to get that thing across when Anthony Perkins did it just in his tone of voice and his delivery. He owned the role. And all of those scenes could have fell flat, as you just saw in this remake. But they didn't fall flat when Anthony Perkins did it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just a
3: testament to him as an actor. Yeah, well, that... Do you want to say that, or do you want to say that Vaughn could have done it had those lines been updated?
2: It really depends on the person that plays it and what kind of restraints they have on them. Um, And it seems like these guys had a lot of restraints. And the other thing is just, you know, Anthony Perkins is a completely different type of actor than than Vince Vaughn. And there's so much stuff that Perkins did that really solidified him as that character.
4: I don't know. what I think I didn't hate Vince Vaughn's, Vince um, you know, his whole his whole role in that because like, like Rob said, you know, it seemed like he had restraints and you can only work with what you're given. And it didn't seem like they had a lot of leeway, it being shot for shot, but practically line for line. What do you do with that? You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't hate, hate this movie, but it's almost like I see no point in why they would make it. That's all.
3: Yeah, and watching it the whole time, because I don't know if Rob knows this, I never watched it. I I was hoping to die (laughs) saying I never watched this.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's Mike's fault.
3: Yeah, Mike put me up to the challenge, and I I purposely, I wouldn't even watch the trailer. Like, they're like, dude, just check out the shower scene in the trailer, whatever. I wouldn't even do it. I said, I'm not watching this piece of shit. And, uh, and I ended up doing it for the show, but, you know, whatever. You know what I was just really wondering? When they were sh- doing those flashes and visions, why didn't they put the car salesman's hair in there? Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't that have been the scariest thing they could have shown? <laughs> yeah, it would have been good. Was that not scary or Quite what? Quite possibly. <laughs> yeah. You know, back to William H. Macy, I, I disagree with Rob and Mike because, to me, he just didn't have that face that made you go, Oh shit! This guy's gonna ruin my life. Like for real? He didn't have the intimidation factor,
1: dude. Watch his watch his parts again. Oh, I forget the guy that played him in the original. I forget his name.
3: I know. I was um, just trying to Martin, say that. Martin
1: Balsam.
2: Oh, He's that's fine. It, yeah, yeah. He's fine, but it's. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, nobody in it really compares to anybody in the original in terms of you know acting ability. Because again, Vince Vaughn's not on on his game on this because I, I, he must have been he must have been limited by what Gus Van Sant wanted him to do. But if you go back to the original and watch the scene of Arbogast interrogating Norman yeah. and just Balsam and, and Perkins together, that's like one of the greatest examples of, you know, that's just some of the finest acting ever captured on film. Like, those guys are so good together.
3: Absolutely, um, dude.
2: A lot of it was them recommending, in, in particular Perkins recommending how he wanted um, – them to kind of keep stumbling over each other's words, even though it might interfere with their coverage the way that they, they they would normally shoot it. But um, but yeah, no, Hitchcock was totally for it. and It turned out to be you know,
3: it's a great moment. Oh, I think perfect. I mean, when when that scene, the interrogation, like you really you felt like you were on the hot seat, didn't you? I mean, like you lived through Norman during that entire scene, and you were like oh shit come on don't mess up don't mess up keep 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 your game face keep your game face and when Vaughn did it and this other guy Macy I just felt like it was two guys rehearsing lines now this might be a case of well you're just comparing it to the original you gotta like separate yourself but you can't I think that's the major problem here there's no way out of it there's no way out of it you have to It's one of those rare movies
2: that is just so influential and so original that it's really impossible to separate it. And that's kind of the way I approach... I mean, a lot of the newer remakes, I always have a tough time the first time I watch them because of that. But I've been able to separate them and enjoy them for what they are. But this is one of those rare occasions where it's really, really hard. Really, really hard to differentiate the original and your memory of the original and the remake, because it's just, it's that indelible.
3: Yeah. Did, do you watch this movie for fun ever or no? Which one? The remake? Yeah.
2: I, no, I mean, I, again, I, I own it, and I saw it when it came out. And I watched it, I think, around the time that I was doing Psycho Legacy, and I thought I might be interviewing people from it. But I just, it every time I put it on, it, it honestly just feels like a waste of time to me. It's like, well, why am I going to watch this for the next 90 minutes when... I'd yeah. rather watch the first one over again, or any of the, you know, any of the sequels, which I think are superior to it. So there is better things to do with my time than <laughs> to revisit a remake I don't really enjoy it all that much. Exactly. Do you feel that
4: way about all remakes, though, Rob? Because Julianne Moore was just confirmed as um, Carrie's mother this week, and she, she, you know, she did the remake of Psycho too. So. What do you think of that role, and do you think...
2: I'm, okay. I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm curious. I mean, I, I don't the movie until it actually happens, because I don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, right. that one in particular, you know, uh, Boys Don't Cry, the, the Kimberly Pierce who directed that, I mean, she's a pretty darn good director uh, with drama, uh, especially you know, teens, and uh, she proved that with Boys Don't Cry, so that's intriguing that she wants to tell the story of Carrie, and Julianne Moore, great actress. I mean, she's not very good in Psycho, but again, I don't. I don't fault the actors for what happened with Psycho. Right. I, I kind of fault the director for confining them to trying to recreate, you know, not only physically but like the timing of the original performances. Um, and then the little girl they got uh, from, uh, I forgot her name. It's like Chloe
5: Morton. Chloe Morton, Yep.
2: I'm. I'm t- i I think she's great. I mean, yep. she's been. You know, everything I've seen her in from. Five days of summer to kick ass. Um, uh, you know, she was just in Hugo. I thought that was great. She's a great little actress. So, I mean, I, I'm intrigued by the Carrie remake. Now, again, it's going to be a little weird. But they've already remade it, though. I mean, there's there's already two other Carrie movies. So, to me, it's not one of those like sacrilegious. You know, the first Carrie was made before I think I was born. I think it was like seventy five or seventy six. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well over 35 years old. We can remake
3: that one. <laughs> yeah, isn't, and isn't uh, that remake a made-for-TV movie or something like that?
0: Yeah. yeah. My hobby is stuffing things. You know, taxidermy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'd rather stuff birds. Well, because I hate the look of beasts when they're stuffed. You know? Foxes and chimps. Some people even stuff dogs and cats. I couldn't do that. No, I, I think only birds look well-stuffed because um, they're kind of passive to begin with.
3: I don't know. The, the, just things like the base motel sign I thought was terrible. Oh, well, yeah. that. Oh,
0: the, you know what? The motel itself
1: was terrible. The, it just... The motel, the house, but we talked about the house. Well, yeah, we talked about the, that. On the house, but the house was horrible. The motel was horrible.
3: Uh, Vince Vaughn's fake laughing was terrible. Um, yeah. The the actors who played Mr. Lowry and Cassidy, the the two guys in the bank, absolutely terrible. H- how can you not even play a jerk correctly? I don't get it. You know, like while I was watching this, like I like just like Rob, I just wanted to turn it off and watch Psycho three, dude. I really. And you know, the the movie was an insult to the music, in my opinion. And they didn't even hit the cues right. Even when the uh, Norman killed Marion in the shower, wasn't the music cue off there?
2: I mean, that's impossible to recreate. I can't imagine how... I know they were trying to go shot for shot, but...
3: But the music was, was off.
2: It's one of those magical... Yeah, I mean, the music, but then again, it's like, it's a, it's it's got to be a couple seconds off just because they, um, you know, they they threw in those weird random shots. Right. Those, mm-hmm. you know, stuff. So, right there, you're going to throw it off. It's not going to match the original cue. Yeah.
5: Um.
2: But you know, like that would have been impossible to try to recreate anyway exactly no matter how many storyboards you put aside for it because it's one of those magical moments in movies that just i I can't I don't even know if Hitchcock could have redone it
3: <laughs> yeah you know? And, you know as I sat there, it just dawned on me that I wonder who I would be today if that was my first introduction to norman Bates that that's all I wonder because it was that you know. bad, but either way,
4: Rob, what's your favorite uh psycho movie out of out of the franchise?
3: What's my favorite? Um,
2: mm-hmm. well, that's a tough question. I kind of love them all for my own reasons, which is why I even made a documentary about all of them. Um, right. The original is a classic, so that's obviously the best movie. But, um, I don't know, I tend to go back and forth between 2 and 3. Yes! 2, two is great, 2 is a great sequel. Um, I'm not crazy about the ending. It's, it's a great ending, and it's fun. But then I kind of have a weird soft spot for 3, which I know is not uh, is one of the least liked by fans, or maybe the younger fans seem to like it a lot, but I don't know, 3 seems like through Norman's eyes, and that was always intriguing to me growing up, and it had a little bit of extra season in mean, it. 3 is usually the one I'll go to to watch, so wow. I'll, I'll, I'll say 3, just a tiny bit over 2.
3: Mike, you know how happy that makes me, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs>
2: Like, if somebody never saw any of the sequels, I'd I'd immediately show them part two. They'd be like, oh, well, you
3: have to see two. Right. Well, here's the thing I want to talk to you about now, Rob. Just like you said, part three is probably the least popular. All the experts, you know, oh, two was a stunning, eloquent, great sequel. And part three, that's just a piece of garbage that was just trying to cash in on the 80s slasher crap that was going on. And they were... It was obviously competing with what was going on. But I ask you this. I'm going to pose this to you. Tell me how there's any difference with when it comes to the slasher sellout from part two to three. And here's I'm going to pose it to you. The kills. Let's just go with it. Tooney gets his face slashed up. He's stabbed. The kid in the basement gets repeatedly stabbed and butchered. Lila Crane gets a knife rammed through her mouth. Dr. Raymond falls off his stairs, a knife goes through his chest. Mary gets shot up by the police, Norman gets repeatedly stabbed, a knife runs through his fingers, all gratuitous. And But that's the classy sequel. Part 3 only has a nun falling down a stairwell, an attempted suicide, a girl in the phone booth, which was very reminiscent, actually, of the shower kill, a chick taking a piss on the toilet, getting her throat cut, and Duke getting hit with a guitar and strangled and drowned and maureen falls down the stairs into the cupid's arrow just like arbogast now what is so crazy about part three compared to part two i think i just listed off way more kills and pretty uh, a, a lot more extravagant if you ask me how was part three any more of a sellout than part two
2: i, I never looked at three as uh as a cash in to the flasher i mean that was just kind of Maybe, maybe that was the studio's intentions with it because, uh, you know, they didn't really have much faith or confidence in Psycho 2 until Perkins got on board and then it became a huge hit for them. So, um, so I'm sure, you know, Universal Studios is probably like, oh, well, we made a lot of money with Psycho 2 and now there's these Friday 13th movies and there's all these other movies making money. So we need to make a Psycho 3. But I don't think filmmakers, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure Perkins didn't think of it that way. He was looking at, at it as an opportunity to direct and get into directing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: unfortunately, he only did two movies as a director, which is a shame because he had, you know, between that and his other one, which is uh, Lucky Smith, he, um, he had a lot of, I mean, he had an interesting promise. I, mean, I didn't realize it when I was watching Psycho 3, but reading up more on Perkins, he had a very European sensibility. He really liked a lot of films, you know, kind of from from Europe. Um, and, you, you know, it's got – I mean, I see a lot of Argento in Psycho 3, you know, a lot of the weird colors and the the neon stuff and,
1: mm-hmm. you know, a,
2: a lot of your sensibility because I, I later went on to appreciate a lot of the, the Italian horror movies and stuff like that. So that's – I don't know. That's interesting to don't, me. I don't think – I don't I, Maybe the studio wanted it to be a, a knockoff or cash in, but.
3: Artistically.
2: Artist, but artistically, I think Perkins is doing the complete opposite in making the most uncommercial movie right. uh, that Universal Studios was going to put out that year.
3: Dude, that movie's fascinating, man. And I think what really makes it perfect is you're literally seeing it through the eyes of Norman Bates, literally, because there was a lot of, um, you know, everybody knows that or Anthony Perkins was a little off in in his normal life and that's what made him so perfect for the role so you're actually in a weird way the, the person that made that character come to life you're seeing it through that guy's eyes yeah that just like solidifies everything about Norman Bates and what I like about that movie is that Psycho 3 was it felt like to me another day at the Bates Motel like Part one was the introduction, we're all getting to see what's going on here. Part two was all about these two chicks trying to make him go crazy again. And part three just seemed like, you know, let's all go camping in Crystal Lake, maybe Jason will be around. Let's go to the Bates Motel, maybe Norman, you know, but that would be a day going to the Bates Motel. And that's what's cool about it. Yeah. I presented the same question to Jason Allenthal, webmaster of thepsychomovies.com, on June 16th, 2011. And here was his response.
5: The the second movie gets more respect when it comes to that, because even though there was gore in it, one can argue that it was done differently than 3. I'll I'll give you a great example. I had this discussion with Rob G. and a few other people. Psycho 3 is, and I don't know if you agree, has a very sleazy undercurrent. The whole movie feels sleazy. It doesn't feel that way when you watch two. Um, no. Two feels more like the original film in terms of suspense building, and that's what Richard Franklin was going for. Tony Perkins had just worked on Crimes of Passion uh, in 1984 with Kathleen Turner, which was a weird freaking movie. I just saw it recently and it was nuts, uh, but I loved it. Um, he took a lot of Ken Russell. E in Psycho Three, lighting wise, um, you know, the way things were, were moving forward. Psycho three is a very sleazy undercurrent. And I think that's something that people catch on to, but they don't really know what is bothering them, if that makes any sense. So people right. who do that tend to lash out for about a film. It's the same yeah. thing with psycho four. People were saying oh jeez, you know, even Leonard Balton wrote Goodnight, Gorman, uh, in one of his reviews. And it's like Psycho 4 was extremely good, actually. But people get this stigma in their mind about it because, oh, well, 3 was a a gore fest. But like you said, there really wasn't that much more gore than in the second one. But I think it's the overall tone of the film freaked a lot of people out and people are so quick to jump. That's why I think Roger Ebert loved Psycho 3. He gave it a good review. He was was actually shocked. Yeah, if you read Roger Ebert's review of Psycho 3... He liked it better than two. He said Perkins's direction was fantastic. It was a good, you know, moving forward story. He would have changed this, this, and this, but otherwise it was really a good suspense thriller. And I agree, but I think the sleaziness of it and that little undercurrent, and and even the nudity that's thrown in three for no reason, um, right. is one of those factors that that make people cringe a little bit. And that's why people are so quick to jump on saying it's horrible. But I think Psycho 3 had some great moments in it.
3: I just think it's sad that Psycho movies are never viewed as like highly as Friday the 13th, Halloween, or Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Why do you think that is? It's
2: just, it's it's the popularity of each of those franchises, because I, mean, I don't think the Friday the 13th movies are I don't think they're viewed as better than um, you know, better than Psycho ones. It's like, you know, it's apples and oranges. They're both two completely different types of things. The difference is that, you know, Friday the was putting out a movie every year for pretty much the entirety of the 80s. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, we all grew up on this. So Jason was kind of always there. And, you know, every couple of years, you know, Jason X, uh, Freddy versus Jason, Friday the 13th, the remake. Um, you know, once Perkins died, that was kind of the last. I'm sure if Perkins had lived, they would have made a Psycho 5 and a the six they probably they definitely would have continued um but he died so shortly after the fourth one that it was kind of like well how can we possibly do another movie without him he was kind of the glue of it
3: yeah
2: so i mean i think it's just once a franchise kind of falls out of the public's subconscious it, it just kind of loses popularity because there's always new generations of fans kind of popping up and uh That's the thing. It's like, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of kids that when Friday the 13th the remake came out had probably never seen a lot of the originals, but they saw the remake, loved it, and then they went back and found all the other stuff. So, I mean, that's the thing. There's there's no new Psycho movie. It's like the remake killed the franchise as dead as possible. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that was, you know, almost uh, 14, 15 years ago at this point. So, I mean, that's the exciting thing about at least this Hitchcock movie that's coming out is hopefully it'll kind of just bring Psycho back into the public eye. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully people will be reinterested in it again.
3: Well, if Psycho were to be remade again, who would you, uh, well, Mike, let's go with you. Who would you pick to play Norman Bates this time around? If Psycho were to be re-remade?
1: Well, if I can't have Anthony Perkins, which sadly, obviously we can't, I would definitely go with, uh, Joseph
2: Gordon-Levitt. That's I think he could do it justice.
3: What about you, Rob? Have you ever given this thought? Uh, yeah,
2: uh, Andrew Garfield, through and through. But, um, you know, he's doing Spider-Man now, so I don't think he's ever going <laughs> to come back to doing uh, any other type of movie. But I think even I actually, that was one of those things I talked to him about. It was like, man, if they ever redid Psycho or anything like that, or even a buy-up on Perkins, you are the guy to do it, because you definitely look just like him and could pull it off. That said, I'm I'm not familiar at all with the guy that they got playing Anthony Perkins in the Hitchcock movie, right. an actor named James Darcy. Um, he looks good. I mean, he looks kind of like Perkins, but I have no idea what kind of actor he is. So I guess we'll have to wait and see.
3: Now, I want to ask you, you you, cre- you um released The Psycho Legacy, which is, like I said, a documentary on all four Psycho movies. You released this... On October nineteenth, two 2010, how, how did it go? What's the reception like?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, from what I understand, it did really well for Shot Factory. Um, and even now, two years later, we're, we're still trying to get it out into other parts of the world. Um, it, it came out, unnoticed to me, it came out in Germany on Blu-ray, which is weird because we, didn't, we shot it before the Blu-ray format even existed. So it's not in HD, it's in standard depth. So I don't know how they managed to release an HD version of it when it doesn't exist. but And we're trying to get get it hopefully on TV somewhere by October of this year, like for this Halloween. And I'm sure, again, the, the, the new movie, which I think is just called Hitchcock now, yeah. will hopefully draw a lot of attention to it and um, kind of keep bringing... Sam's back to that original franchise. I mean, as far as my part in it, like mission accomplished, I, what I wanted to do, which was just remember and honor those movies and turn people back onto them. Um, you know, I still get people all the time, like, Oh, there's a psycho to even know, And then I, I force my movie on them and they pick it up and, and they go and buy it. Um, I mean, ironically enough, earlier today, uh, my buddy, AJ Bowen, who's, uh, fine actor in several
3: Yep.
2: He's a lot to year. He no, texted it, it, me this morning saying, Hey man, was just taking a break, watched Psycho Legacy and I ran to Ameebo by Psycho Two Three and Four. Awesome. <laughs> so, so it's nice to you know, that people, even friends of mine, like still see my doc. and am like, you know what, I should own those movies. Well, I,
4: I've seen them before I've seen all the movies before, but honestly, until I, I saw your documentary that really got me excited again to watch them again. And, and I loved them and it made me took take another closer look at them. And you know, that all goes to you, sir. So Bravo.
2: That's all. Well, thank you. I appreciate that again. Mission accomplished. And, um, uh, and I don't know if you guys knew about it and I don't think it's a secret. So whatever, I'll tell you, um, but I've been working on the book version of it for a little while now, which is probably going to take me quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there will be a book version of Psycho Legacy at some point in the not-too-distant future. Good. I'll so. buy it.
3: Oh, Of course, yeah. I'll buy it. I'll support all this. So what are you working on in the, in the future besides this book? What do you have planned? Uh, I know you did the Evil Dead 2 Blu-ray. You did a, little bit, a couple specials for that. Are you doing anything like that in the future?
2: Yeah, there's a whole bunch, which of course I'm not allowed to say yet, but um, I'm gonna I'm still working on, I'm working on a bunch of stuff with Michael Felscher who is the producer of a lot of those special features like Evil Dead Two and Intruder. And um, he just got a, a slew of projects for the rest of the year that um, we're working on and we've already started doing some of the interviews for one of them, which I think you guys are gonna really, really flip about. And I already moderated a, one of the commentaries. It, it was The commentary was dreamed true. And again, I can't say what it is, but the second you hear it, you'll be like, oh, that's pretty cool. So there's a bunch of stuff that, that, um, that you can expect from shirt pictures on uh, some classic horror titles that are going to be re on DVD and Blu-ray. And besides that, I mean, the Psycho Legacy book is taking up a lot of my time. It's going to be different than what the documentary was because I want them both to complement each other, and I don't want I don't want anybody to feel like they're trying the same thing twice because it's totally not going to be that. Um, but it's it's going to be along the lines of the the Crystal Lake Memories book, which is like this nice hard cover like uh, coffee table book that um, you know featured all the interviews completely unedited and uncut. And the nice thing about the Psycho Legacy book is I've been able to go back and get newer interviews of people that weren't in the movie because you know, obviously with the movie I had to physically meet them to shoot the interview, but if you're doing a book, you could just get them on the phone for a few minutes. So so I've already spoken to Dennis Franz from Psycho Two and I got an interview a new interview with him about Psycho Two exclusively for the book. And um yeah, so I mean the book is the main thing and you know, we'll see. We'll see what else is in store. Um there's always some fun stuff with, uh, with Drew Daywalt, but um, I don't know exactly what we're doing next year. He's, he's got his own stuff going on.
3: Great. Well, thanks so much, man, for coming out of the show and helping us with this Psycho 1960 versus Psycho 1998 battle. <laughs> of course. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Be sure to pick up Rob galuza's The Psycho Legacy, available at Amazon.com, a complete documentary of all four psycho movies. This is Alex, for Mike and Dan. We hope you enjoyed the Psycho 1960 vs Psycho 1998 battle. We'll see you next week in Cabin 1.
0: So I don't have the guts, huh?